0: On this particular show, that we would jump from Roy Ayers running away to Christina Aguilera's Genie in a Bottle, and of course, (laughs) open it all up with Outcast Miss Jackson. But it's also quite befitting because, um, you know, the little that I know of Lebelhang in our past lives, where our paths sort of crossed a bit when she was working on a really interesting project with uh, some colleagues of mine, uh, DJ Ken Zero. Um, I kind of feel like this particular musical playlist is right up your alleyway. (laughs) Yeah,
1: definitely. This was the vibe of our wonderful show back in the day. Yeah, Yeah, I feel like this is your
0: energy. Like you're the kind of person, if you had to get into your car, uh, most likely, your 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 playlist stays on shuffle, and yeah. it just goes anywhere. It any goes anywhere time. every year. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, yeah, I kind of figured. I kind of figured. It is uh, the voice of uh, Lemuhang Masango joining me. She's a multi award winning, multi award winning children's book author. Um, she is uh, also a poet, a uh, PhD candidate. Yes. Yes. Graduating next year, Ritz-Waltzer front can be like, yes, we've got another doctor. Um, uh, I mean, my producers mouth like this is the caliber of the guests that we have on the show guys. This is like, <laughs> this is just the caliber of people who take the time from, you know, they they holiday, the long weekend to come through and join us uh, on the show to chat a little bit. Uh, it is uh, stages, pages, screens, and more. Um, so, before we get into into the book, a lot of people know you. I mean, I think your most seminal work thus far mm-hmm. has been the Bumi series. Yes. Uh, a series, it's a trilogy, right? A children's book. Yeah, well, so, far, really so trilogy, far we have four. Oh, yeah. there's
1: four.
0: Yes. Oh, lovely. I thought yeah. there was only three, four.
1: Yes, two of them came out this year.
0: When do you find the time? Because, I mean... You, you know, you're busy. <laughs> True. Going after your PhD takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of work. Um, you know, you're a published author, you're yeah. a poet. Um, you're just a creative. You yes. You sort of put yourself in the creative world. Where do you find the time to even write two more children's books? For me, um,
1: like when I was doing my master's, that's when I wrote the first Mbumi's book. Yeah. And then uh, when I was busy with my PhD, I wrote three of them. So for me, it's taking a break from the really like hardcore, analytical, academic, intellectual stuff yeah. and then giving my brain a break by writing something different. Uh-huh. So yeah, for me, it's a form of rest to be able to dabble in the world of children's literature.
0: Like I, I like how you say, and I mean, I get it to, to a certain degree when you're know when you're writing academic. Academically and at that PhD level, there's a lot of research, yes. uh, a lot of, you know, uh, <laughs> analysis that goes into it. Yes. But writing children's literature is not that easy it isn't it's, it's no. really not because you've got to compress quite a lot yeah. in a few words yeah. punctuate quite a lot in just like one, two, three sentences mm. um, you know and it must still have all those elements of a story as one must have like who, exactly. what, where, when, how and all the rest of it
1: exactly and we're not children so we don't instinctually know what will work you yeah. know so there's a lot of research that goes into it as you say a lot of the elements of storytelling must be there as well and you must just be like really simple. Serious about refining your story. It's about mm. taking a lot of big things and making them smaller mm. as well. So yeah,
0: definitely an art form. I love it. Now, how does one Lebohang segue from writing four fictional children's books to then writing the non-fictional, mm-hmm. the soft life, which is love, choice, and modern
1: dating? So how that happens is that, you know, for my master's research, I covered topics around romantic relationships, the socioeconomics of life, and how our socioeconomic situation actually leads us to make particular choices Mm. for our romantic lives. And so because that already existed, when my publisher approached me, she was like, I've heard about your research. I think it would be really great. Wouldn't you like to turn it into book form? Yeah. My immediate answer was no, not really. (laughs) But eventually the book happened. And that's how we're here. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: and you know what I I love is when when you talk about you know your research and and sort of that understanding that a lot of our socioeconomic circumstances actually dictate to some degree the choices that we make, both Mm. personal and professional. Um and I think that is like the crux of this whole conversation. I just I said to to as you were probably up in the elevator, I was like, you know, we're talking the soft life, the book is about. Everything that you think it's about and nothing about what you think it's about. Exactly, <laughs> I
1: think so too. It's easy to make a lot of assumptions because yeah. the soft life up till now is something that's been uh, thought of as quite frivolous. And anytime I, we're actually talking about romantic relationships, love, dating, black women, etc., young mm. women, um, it tends to become really reductive and frivolous. No one's really giving it the seriousness that it requires. Mm. And so with this book, it is my attempt at doing that. Um, possibly for the first time in a mainstream market, mm. just to try and have the conversation in a sort of elevated, respectful, and dignified way, which mm. I think is what's been missing from this conversation so far. Yeah, yeah. And,
0: and and I think that is it. I mean, when, when you pick it up, so obviously, like everyone else, I saw you post and I was like, oh, the soft light. Okay, can we get a little hung in here? Let me let me see, you know, what this is, is, is really all about. Um, and you pick it up and immediately that jumps out at you, that yeah. Yeah. you know this is more than just the frivolity this is really trying to understand you know something a, a conversation that yeah. that is very prominent and very dominant in our generation yes. but a conversation that's not exclusive to our generation. Like, exactly. And that's the thing that we sometimes forget. Exactly. And that's what I do with the book and my research. I try
1: to locate this in a continuum that has been going on since the 1800s and the formation of Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. I take us through colonization and the kind of social formations that it forced upon African people with colonization and how black women entered the city at first through the cash economy and what that was like and how they couldn't come into the space and obviously own property, earn money, etc. They had to Mm. come in as beer brewers and sex workers, etc. So there's always been a level of transactionality to how black women had to enter the city. And I take it to the 1930s where there was this very big moral panic about what black women and young black women were doing in wanting to be modern girls and that kind of aspirationalism that had the entire community shook because what do they mean they want to... um, form themselves anew and become something we've never seen before. And then I take that to 2015, 2016, 2017, even 2018 with the Slay Queen and the Blesser and Blessee thing and how that moral panic had a resurgence. And that continuum is just to say that whenever there are big social transformations happening, especially in the economy this is when these gender relations become uh, extremely uh, there's a lot of tension around our gender relations. This is when because our humanity is being impeded upon by the social economic system a lot of the time the the patriarchal order wants to reassert itself especially Mm. on the bodies of young women. And that's what we see whenever this conversation comes up. But what I'm trying to do is to examine how these young women know all of this and are still reasserting their humanity, their dignity, their agency in choosing the relationships that they want
0: mm, and and that's what i loved also about the book right it's it's the highlighting of choice yeah um which 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 sometimes we we we. i mean yes to to a large degree also i guess cho- choice is eroded by circumstance yes. um you know because i always say life will present you choices but sometimes the choice is between the bad and the worst you know there's not always a positive I- in that circumstance yeah. but we we forget that there's choice and 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 the characters that you sort of and these are real life characters like yes, right? these this are
1: real
0: women yeah oh I tell you i wanted to i wanted to call you and be like what are their names <laughs> and like they are real names.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, I could never disclose <laughs> Right. Yeah. no no yeah. no absolutely
0: um but but you also highlight that that quite a lot in the book that please don't mistake the and especially these particular women mm-hmm. that 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 you you know you researched within the book don't mistake them for, for being um, sort of lambs brought to the slaughter. Yeah. These are women who've made choice. Yes. Conscious intellectual choices yes. of what they want in their lives for themselves and how that must look. Yeah. Um, and sometimes even those choices meant walking away from the quote-unquote soft life.
1: Yeah. And you know, this is what I want everyone to relate to. Really, anyone reading this book is that all of us are faced with a plethora of choices in our everyday life Mm. and we need to make those very hard decisions about how to navigate this world. But something about each of these women and each of us out there is that the economy, the political system, South Africa, load shedding, power cuts, crime, etc. All of these things are circumstances in which we sometimes have a very narrow set of choices to make. And Mm. so these These young women, knowing all of this and knowing even the kind of shame and scrutiny that comes with being a young woman who has a voice, they continue to make those choices anyway. And I think that's something that um, really it needs us to examine it seriously it mm. needs us to take it uh, quite seriously because all of us are constantly navigating all of these difficulties as south africans mm-hmm. and so the fact that these young women bear the brunt of being degraded of being reduced to whatever trending name is being allocated to black women mm. i think that's incredibly unfortunate and i'm trying to contribute what i can to turning that around
0: mm, mm. and and that's the, the the other thing about you know this conversation um, and we have it a lot amongst ourselves on Black Twitter. Yes. Like, we have it amongst ourselves on Black Twitter. Um, and our perspective is very one-sided, very skewed, yeah. uh, you know, to some degree. Because also your, your emphasis and even in the pages of the soft life is, is on... This is not something that's exclusive to Black women. Not at all. Uh, you, you know, and, and this is not a, a character trait, to use it loosely, uh, that says something about Black women in particular. Exactly.
1: It's not that at all. This is really a South African story about having to navigate your life, you know? And what we know about patriarchy, about marriage, about gender divisions of labor, is that marriage, especially when it comes to heterosexual people, marriage has always been a vehicle for women to uh, move up and down the class scales, you know? Mm. You can actually access higher class brackets through marriage. It has always been that way. Mm. We think about bride wealth customs like Lobola, and the fact that what it hinges upon is the economics of this family and Mm. their financial position and what promises they can kind of make to take your daughter and look after her etc all of that hinges around you know our economic situation so none of that can be exclusive to black women and i make the example that in 2018 when the when the phrase slay queen and uh, blesser and blessy was so very prevalent mm. there was this young model that we we've heard about some of us her name is Candace Van Amarva, yes. and she was dating um, Prime Minister Saad Hariri from Lebanon <laughs> and we knew about her because SARS was actually holding on to billions of her money because she'd been gifted 212 uh, mm. million rand, right? And so they're holding on to this money and it becomes a big thing, but all of our journalists, all of our media, in covering the story, no one uses the prevalent lexicon of blesser-blessy, right? Mm. And for me, that's entirely mischievous and that lets me know that there's really something going on at the intersection of gender and race and conversation about romance and romantic relationships and the economy in our country, and mm. that's why my book tries to do. It tries to detangle that a little bit and to just give voice and dignity to these young women, hoping that all South Africans can see themselves reflected in their stories. Mm.
0: And and what do you think it is then? Uh, you know, Lebuhang. What has the research shown that it is? Why is it that the the sort of the the narrative is? and the perspective is skewed so negatively towards Black women. I mean, is it just an historical thing of of where, you know, society, the politics of race and gender place Black women in the pages of history and how it likes to
1: paint them? Definitely. It's something that we can locate there. Even in my um, tracing of, you know, the 1800s, the 1930s and the different kinds of uh, moments and flashpoints we've had as Black women around Mm. this conversation... Academia also is really at fault here because it's very easy to produce volumes and volumes and volumes of work around the problematics of black women's sex lives, Mm -hmm. how they lead to illness, how it leads to poverty, how black women need to have transactional sex to escape poverty. Because that is the popular conversation and because that is the narrative that we're all existing in, Mm -hmm. whether we know it or not, it really shapes how then the media, how public, how discourse starts to form around black women. And choice, So it is a historical case of misogynoir in mm. the case where black women uh, and misogyny intersect. But yeah, it just needs all of us to really think more deeply about how we are writing about black women. Do we really want black women to constantly be the butt of every joke? Um, yeah, each time we talk about, you know, something that we require that we think is frivolous, like love and relationships
0: i love how you say that we think we is frivolous like love and relationships because i guess we have we, that's where yeah. we've placed it right yeah. a very serious thing that is is very natural and innate to to, to humanity and mm. and you know if, to us we've whittled it down to 160 characters on a sunday basically is what yeah. it's become um it is Lebu hung uh, masango joining me in studio and she is the writer author of The Soft Life, Love, Choice, and Modern Dating. Um, It is quite the riveting read. If you haven't gotten your hands on it, uh, it's definitely one that you want to uh, get your hands on. Um, She is an academic, of course, um, and putting that research into this particular book um, and telling the stories of these women. And what for you was the most surprising thing? Because it's five women and they're five really different. Woman in, in very many ways, the yeah. circumstances are different, how they sort of perceive romantic relationships are different, yeah. but to some degree also you can almost, you can place them in each other's orbit, like yes. they, they're not too far removed from each other. You know what I'm trying to
1: say? No, I completely understand you. And I think what was surprising, but affirming, but something that I kind of knew is that the popular literature tells us that, you know, there's a point at which, especially African women will do anything for money. You know, that is the popular narrative. Mm. But there are instances in the book where these women have chosen to walk away Mm. from people who are, you know, sure, he's got lots of money and our life is made easier by his ability to provide in particular ways, but I no longer like the way he's treating me, and so I'm walking away. And so to have found that in every single instance that I spoke about, I was like, I wish this conversation was highlighted more. I don't understand how we're sitting with just an academic meta-narrative of Black women are doing this. This is the pattern of black women. Black women stay in relationships too long. And of course, it is true that black women are susceptible to all kinds of violence, right? Mm. But it's not just because of the relationships that they're in. It's because we live in a violent cu- country with a violent history. Mm. Our gender reva- uh, gender relations are really uh, tumultuous as well, as we know. And we have our gender-based violence and femicide crisis. That's so gross. any black woman in any space, whether rich or poor, whether you are dating and whatever tax bracket unfortunately you are in danger all the time so for me it was wonderful to hear their stories of choice isn't just about choosing the thing that society would deem controversial but choice is also walking away from this thing that has been quite beneficial up until now but Mm. is either dangerous or harmful to me personally
0: I got you I got you Uh, (laughs) I don't know what he's signaling but he's signaling something Uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll come right back on the art of everything
1: Bridget Masinga on The Art of Everything.
0: It is indeed The Art of Everything on this Friday evening right here on SAFM. We're hanging out with award-winning, multi-award-winning author. uh, Lebu Hang joins me in studio. Lebu Hang Masango, and she just released a brand new uh, non-fiction book, The Soft Life. Yes, if you're thinking the name sounds familiar, she is indeed the uh, fabulously gifted, talented, children's author uh, for the uh, Bumi series of books. There's quite a number of titles underneath that. But now uh, she's applying me, applying rather, her academic research to really an interesting conversation that's got us gripped for generations to come. And I think before we were going to the break, obviously, uh, Le we were talking, you know, I think a lot of the work is centered around choice and recognizing that there is choice, right? Mm-hmm. But then the, this also this need for labeling this 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 need for for boxing mm. uh for me almost feels like it's society's need to still kind of suppress especially the voice of black women it's societies yeah. need to still you know let patriarchy rise dominant it's societies yeah. need to say you, you know i'm I'm allowing you the the it's the perception of you've got power the perception yes. of you've got choice because if I then label you all kind of profanities I then rip that right from underneath you because I place shame on you and I place guilt on you and and you kind of challenge that quite a lot in in the in the book and with the stories that the ladies share and the experiences to say oh you know there's nothing to be shameful about here yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And I mean, that labeling, it is a way of
1: trying to control you, right? Yeah. And to um, really make you submit into acquiescence. And that's what happens when we have really difficult socioeconomic circumstances. We don't have control over all of these big things like You know, uh, load shedding, power cuts, Mm. uh, inflation, petrol hikes. We do not have control over that, but we do have control over other people. And Mm. so to keep black women uh, in a state of constantly being ridiculed, being judged, being tormented by all of this labeling, it's a way for a lot of the time men in general to exert an authority and to just keep them submissive and acquiescent you know Mm. Uh, because the thing about being unable to control the economy is that it of course would be really unfortunate if black women uh, realize that actually we don't have to put up with particular kinds of treatment or people who have particular amounts of money that doesn't make that that don't fit in Mm. with our life plans so instead we are going to aim a little bit higher you know you can imagine how that can be quite disruptive to to a kind of social um, a social formation. Yes. So I think that's what that's always been about. Constantly trying to just reel them back in before they get too ambitious, before their aspirations get the better of them and make us unable to reach them, like for mm. them to be out of our reach. Because obviously that has devastating consequences for a lot of people. Yeah. So I think it whittles down to that. Yeah. yeah.
0: And interestingly oh. enough, in one of the pages, I think one of the ladies shares a story about um. Uh. The difference between Senegalese men is a jolly. Uh. Yes. Senegalese men and, and and South African men and, and that's always the thing, right? Because that's the other part of of the conversation is, there's there's different cultural nuances, yeah. you know, in different parts of the continent in in sort of how um, you know, genders treat each other. You yeah. know you know, and, and I think I read that I remember thinking to myself, I was in Senegal a couple of years ago, um, with the old family on the other side of Rosebank and that jumped out at me. And yeah. I remember speaking to a lot of the Senegalese ladies going, I kinda of feel a bit special here in Senegal and they were like, Well, you know, in Senegal there's God and then there's woman. And sometimes there's woman and then there's God, uh-huh. you know. Um, I and, <laughs> and I was like, I oh, that. I can get with that. I, that. <laughs> I really can get with that. Um, but even that creates its own sort of, um, its own sort of problems for us, mm. it's, you know, because then there's that debate of well what what it is what do you want like what are you putting us against what like, what makes a west african man different from a man from the SADC region or from yeah. south africa in particular and you know does that mean now you are aspiring to wealth of of those guys and you're like no but maybe it's just about the treatment as well you know yeah it could just be something that simple that he's just taught to treat me a little bit better exactly
1: and this is why for instance social media and aspirationalism those are so central to this book because you know there's a way of getting accustomed to a particular way of life within your culture Mm. even if we talk about the broad South African culture there's a treatment you can perhaps get used to but something like the internet it gives us a looking glass into other spaces other places what other people are doing Mm. that also and globalization and just being amongst each other anyway like Jolie comes to South Africa and she realizes that there's Something very different about the socialization of people here, and I do explain that to say, well, what we know from research, but also our history, is that we, as um, in South Africa, as soon as you know, nineteen ninety four came, and a little bit earlier than that, our households had to be dual income households mm-hmm. if we were going to reach the levels of you know. Um, urbanization and suburbanization that would allow us to live in particular places, send children to particular schools, enjoy kind of certain kinds of leisure activities, it required for both parents to work. Whereas there are some places where tradition and culture have remained a little bit more intact mm. and a little bit undisrupted by the demands of capitalism, mm. where you know women maybe just stay at home and they're just fabulous and they take care of the domestic labor of the household. It's not the same here in South Africa. Dual income households are our norm. In fact, women Women headed households and child headed households are also quite prevalent in our country, as we know. So that is something I find so interesting that social media is really opening, broadening people's minds to what is possible. And that is why we're seeing this push to, you know, influences, mm. social media, Instagram, the culture of constantly being camera ready and beautiful. It's that thing of like there's always more you know mm. and of course that is not always work to the favor of love in its essence because you know you've got something like tinder and instant yes. gratification of the internet but this is what we're all juggling with this new world we live in where the internet is the dominant culture
0: and you know and as we wrap up the conversation i mean i think we could talk forever in a day about this but as we wrap up the conversation very early in the book uh level paints a picture of like this this like I don't know what the fabulous English is, but I've been calling her like, like, like hyper feminine female. And I'm just like, Ooh, maybe I'm lacking in that. I always Maybe think I'm working in that <laughs> dating a job is so difficult. <laughs> Maybe I need to be like hyper
1: soft, you know. Yeah, I mean these there are dating coaches on the internet, Bridget, and they are making a living from peddling this kind of advice. Like be softer, have longer hair, hang out at particular places, and they are getting wow. money for this advice. And it's interesting because I'm I'm waiting for it to take off in South Africa because inevitably it will be. But yeah. uh, as we see with the ANC conference taking place this year. You know, Um, And in fact, this weekend, a lot of the times when people think about their crushes, their romantic relationships, whether or not they can go to that restaurant for a date. Do I have transport to go on the date? Do I have money for perfume to smell good? Those small details of life, you never think how this ANC conference has anything to do with that. But it has everything to do with that. Because these very big political things happening in our country, they are what influence whether we can get out of bed and have a good day or not, you know, Mm. whether you can have the love of your life, whether you can afford to lobola or get married or even have your dream wedding, etc. etc. Whether you can afford food and school fees for your children, it all whittles down to the socioeconomics of daily living. Mm. So this book I'm hoping that people will get into it and start to, you know, of course think differently about how we have the public conversation about black women but also just think more about the seriousness of love and relationships and the conversations we're having about them.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a beautiful book. It ties in uh, incredible themes. You know, uh, as you heard, Lebuhan, it's really an examination of, uh, you know, the, the socio-economical political situation in the country. Uh, it is... Really, gender relations, gender politics, sex, everything you can Mm -hmm. think of, everything that it takes to be human in the context of being South African and in particular being a black woman um, is contained here. Thank you so much for coming through. Uh, Let's just jump straight into spots, shall we?